Hello, wine world. Thaddeus Bugs. This is the Minority Wine Report, but the podcast, Wine in Black and White. And today we're going to talk to the general manager and CEO, Manuel Luzada of Alma Viva Wines in Santiago, Chile. An incredible winery, one of the mainstays in all of uh, Chile. And we're going to get to learn a little bit more about the wines. So hold, hold tight and uh, be right back at you. Muitas pessoas gostam mais do segundo vinho do primeiro. Que mais I really don't know why. Hey Pablo, Pablo, hold up. You know, as, as you do podcasts, uh, sometimes things don't go as they should go, but it's a beautiful thing. Manuel, let's see if we can put this mic on. You can hold it or you put it on your Just shirt like know. mine. It, all right. All right. Okay? okay, we're good. We're talking to Manuel Lanzada. Lanzada, yes. Lanzada, a general manager, CEO of um, Alma Viva. Mm-hmm. Love Alma Viva. Been there three times. Really great place. What can you tell us about the winery and why it has such a great name in the world? Well, listen, I think it's basically because of its foundation. It's two of the most uh, traditional families in the wine business. So the first one is the owners of Mouton Rothschild which I'm sure that has a decent reputation. It's only a first growth winery in the whole world, yeah. In the whole world, yes. (laughs) And and then afterwards, the other part was Conchay Toro. That -hmm. actually, Conchay Toro brought the knowledge of the terroir and Mouton brought the philosophy of making the Mm -hmm. wine. So pretty much has been, since the beginning, it got a lot of attention. And since the beginning, because of the quality of the wine and because it was the same winemaker in the beginning of uh, of Mouton Rothschild that did Alma Viva, his name was Patrick Leon, it got a lot of attention. Okay, continue please. So then what, what uh, Mouton Rothschild wanted to do was continue the path that uh, Baron Philippe de Rothschild started it with Opus One. So basically Opus One was the first uh, encounter between the uh, Mouton Rothschild family and uh, you know, Robert Mondavi that wanted to find a place where to make an outstanding Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, they found that in Chile. See you later, baby. Take care. So. Hi guys. All right, See you later. All right, man. Go. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Manuel. We're this podcast. Everything's live, and uh, he's greeting some uh, famous Chilean guy here. Hey, good to meet you, bro. Absolutely, man. Uh, love your story about your growing up in Chile and the whole deal, man. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful country, by the way. Also, yeah, very much so. Yes. They gotta get the communists out of there. Well, they were there for a while, though, man. You know, you're pr- uh, some, yeah. But anyway, uh, okay. So, what year? What, what year did the um, did the collaboration between the Rothschilds and um, and Almo Yeah, and Contratoro. Yeah. Started in 1996. Was the first blend that we've done. Okay. And you know. For Opus One, they're pursuing a place where to achieve perfect Cabernet Sauvignon for blending. They did the same in Chile, but with the Conchator, with knowledge of the Conchator. And what, what made them think that this would turn out to be an amazing wine the way it is today? Listen, it's uh, it's always based on tasting mm-hmm. and the experience of the of the family. Okay. Because they went there, Baron Philippine, Baroness Philippine de Rochelle went there with the team, with Patrick Leon, one of the winemakers I was saying a little bit earlier of Mouton. He understood exactly what was the potential of the Cabernet Sauvignon, and thread that represents two-thirds of the blend of Almadiva. So once they understood that, they afterwards needed the grape variety complement and to create an exceptional wine, and that was Carmenere, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and a little bit of Merlot. Okay, so I have to ask the question because 
Carmenere was one of the five, six grapes of Bordeaux back in the day. Why did they feel that Carmenere would would be a mainstay in the wine, in the blend in Chile? What was the difference? Listen, the Carmenere for many years was in Chile, was present in Chile, mixed with Merlot. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Until not that long ago, probably I would say ten years ago, when and uh, a viticulturist that studied the different. Uh, the different uh, grape varieties came and said, well, this is Carmenere, this is not Merlot. But on top of that, they searched for a place where you have a Merlot, uh, Carmenere. Carmenere is a little bit like Zinfandel in California or like uh, Syrah in, uh, in, uh, in Australia. It kind of gives meat around the structure of the Cabernet Sauvignon. Exactly. But searching for the Carmenere that have delivering the structure or filling the structure of the Cabernet Sauvignon, but not too overwhelming, mm-hmm. this was key. And once they found that out, like complementing the Cabernet Sauvignon, the, the perfect conditions of ripeness of the Cabernet Sauvignon, the elegance of the Cabernet Sauvignon, everything, they, you had everything for success. Okay. So you've, you've been a winemaker for around the world, a just years. a few places. Uh, tell us about a little bit of that. Listen, I've started making, well, not, I started tasting wine at the age of five. <laughs> yeah. I'm Portuguese, I'm Portuguese originally. That's a beautiful thing, in my opinion. You know, that's something that happens in Europe. Yeah. Is that uh-huh. when you have a grandfather that wants the, the kids to uh, go into the wine business, and the first time that I tasted, I was five. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with wine. Wine was part of my education. So since then, I wanted to be a winemaker. I made wine in Spain. I made wine. I was lucky enough to make wine in Portugal. Uh, for my family, Messias. Then I went to Rosesport, that used to belong to Moet Hennessy Group. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Argentina for 10 years when I was in charge of Chandon Argentina, Terrasas de los Andes, and Cheval des Andes. Oh, really? That's, yeah. that's an incredible one. I mean, Cheval des Andes in collaboration with, uh, with Cheval Blanc. Yeah, Cheval Blanc. Yeah, of course, so, yeah. And then afterwards, I was lucky enough to be involved with the winemaking both in Brazil and Chandon de Brasil. Brazil, and, Pablo. He was a winemaker in Brazil. Yes, I know. <laughs> so then Chandon. California and Central Australia as well. So I'm very much involved with all the operations. Okay, so I have to, I, I'm going to stop you real quick. Chandor, okay, no, no, hey, hey Pablo, Pablo, yes. we're on a podcast right now, okay? Yeah, okay, but that's Pablo. Okay, so how is Shandon, Brazil, different than Shandon, U.S., Shandon, France, uh, rums? So, champagne. The Moite Chandon uh-huh. started to found a subsidiary of Moite Chandon outside France. Okay. The first one was Chandon Argentine in 1959. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second were California and Brazil in 1970s. Yes. And then the last one was Australia and Spain. Okay. And basically, the idea was to make the same, was to make sparkling wine. In Argentina, it was made out of Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Semillon. In Brazil, was Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Riesling Italico. Which was oh. different, totally okay. different. Yeah, okay, right. And in California, you had same varieties because of the condition, yeah. climatic condition was similar uh-huh. to, okay. to Champagne. But anyway, so that was for ten years, and then I was I moved to Spain because uh, Moet Hennessy acquired Numantia Termantia, which is an unbelievable uh, winery. I think they make incredible juice that age extremely Super well. well. Yeah, okay. particularly Termantia is just yeah, exactly. Oh. Every time that you open a bottle, yeah. you have more fun, you enjoy a little bit exactly. more, and you always have. Something that's a question is if I would have waited for one more year, would this have been better? And I think it should have been better. So, so the question on that, and for Termantia, what, what do you think is the right? I mean, I know it's, it's different for other people, but how long can that wine last? 
Oof, listen, I'm uh, I'm probably drinking the 2001, 2002 wines right now. Tremendous. Yeah, tremendous. So 20 years old. And yeah. that's Toro, correct? Toro, correct. Yes, yes. And, and, and right now they're showing beautiful conditions. Okay, so let's let's go back now to uh, Almaviville. You you joined there in 2019, yes, correct? Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, and with a lot of experience, and apparently they. You had a great resume, but they made you general manager and CEO. So what responsibilities does that 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 cover in a sense? So basically the first thing first thing first. I'm involved on all the process. So I, from the vineyard to the winemaking, even at the slightest because we have an exceptional winemaker, his name is Michel Friou, I would say a brilliant winemaker that has made spectacular wines. And then afterwards on the production and all the uh, management of the business and the relationship with our clients. One of the things that the French, that Mouton Rothschild brought to Almaviva was that we were the first one that was sold through La Place de Bordeaux, which is basically the same place that all the, uh, the exceptional wine, the first growth, go through to be distributed all over the world. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we were the first ones there in 2000. So, oh, wow. okay. so it was, we need to work with the teams and then afterwards, listen, even though we sell to La Place de Bordeaux, it's a very particular process. Afterwards, we need to go to the markets and we need to uh, share, you know, the wine and to taste the wine and to prove because at the end of the day, being in a new world, mm -hmm. even though we've been making wine for since the Spanish came over 400 years ago, yes. being considered as a new world, you always have to prove the quality, the exceptional quality, as we did tonight with the tasting that we did from 2009 until 2020 yeah. to see the aging potential of this wine that's exceptional. So let's talk about the tasting we had tonight. People, we were at Wine Watch in Fort Lauderdale, a wonderful place to uh, really taste wine, drink wine, and buy wine. And Manuel was uh, able to put together a vertical tasting of which wines? We had 2009, 2014, 2016, 18, and 2020 of Almaviva. And then we tasted for the first time here the second wine of Almaviva, which is called Epu. Epu. Yes. E-P-U. Exactly. Okay, and Epu is at some point going to be available in the U.S., which hasn't been here in a while. I mean, ever, right? Well, it has started to be able to be in the U.S. Uh, started last year. Okay. But it was such a small amount because, you know, with the that was something that also the French brought, was the effect that uh, it's a chateau philosophy, as they call it. Mm -hmm. So the focus of the team, the focus of the vineyard, mm -hmm. everything that we do, every morning we wake up dreaming of making Almaviva exceptional, and this is what we call the second vin. You know, in, in the, the... It's not really second, it's really good, by the way. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. But anyway, so, you know, this is like in, in Bordeaux, where you have the, the focus is the Grand Vin, mm -hmm. and then there's a second vin, like a Mouton, Petit Mouton, mm -hmm. uh, and, and in our case is Almaviva and is is number two. And, uh, and listen, the wine's exceptional. It's different than the traditional selection wine. Is it's not made out of selection. It's vineyard that are cho uh, chosen because they have a little bit more of tension and a little bit more of character. Okay, so tell us about Almaviva. Um, the um, the selection we had today. What makes Almaviva in your in your mind special and probably the best uh, Cabernet blend or Bordeaux blend that's in uh, Chile? Uh, listen, is the pleasure that it creates. You know, I think that uh, the way that the wine has been conceived is to make to achieve this balance between the Cabernet Sauvignon, the structure of the Cabernet Sauvignon, but also with the Carmenere, with the Cabernet Franc, the Petit Verdot, and the Merlot. It's so well integrated. The complexity that the wine has in the nose, but then afterwards, that the generate. I, I always say this. 
I know it's a little bit strange, but I think that the wine is to seduce you through your nose and give you pleasure in your palate. Okay. And I think that Almaviva feels all tickles, yeah, ticks all the, uh, all the grapes. Well, very good. I uh, now are you guys pouring at at the uh, best at James Suckling thing this weekend? At yes, the we are. Two we'll days? be starting tomorrow okay. and on Thursday as well. Almaviva, okay. we're going to be present there. Now, if uh, if any of my listeners or whatever ever want to travel, I mean, how what's the do you guys take appointments, or how does someone visit your winery if they're in Chile on vacation or whatever? Only with appointments. Only with appointments. Yes, because it's a, it's a very small winery mm-hmm. and a very small team, and on top of that, we want people to have the personal experience of, uh, of the wine. So if anyone happened to be in Chile and vacation there, you can contact me and I'll contact Manuel, and hopefully we might be able to set you up with an appointment to visit the winery. Manuel, too, yeah. pleasure talking to you, and thank you very much. And this will appear on my podcast within the next week or two. Cheers, really good juice, okay? Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Mm-hmm.